Very good morning to you. Three minutes after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Curtis, and this is Money for Nothing. Very nice to have you with us today. Well, China rolls out a mini-stimulus package. The IMF warns of a long period of stagnant growth if countries don't act. And author Michael Lewis likens top investors like David Einhorn to dumb tourists in a fixed game of cards. We could very well be facing years of slow and subpar growth. Some have called it the new normal. So that's the first tease. That's Christine Lagarde. And here's number two. And we will pay some tour group operators to bring like a bunch of dumb tourists in to play with you. They won't know. You hold win. On, hold on, hold on. Tourists. David Einhorn's a dumb tourist? Yes. In the, Come in, on in, now. In this analogy, hold on. In this analogy, every, every investor, he, David Einhorn did not know. He did not understand. Yes, that's kind of interesting. That's Michael Lewis, the uh, legendary author, saying that even David Einhorn, who is a well-known hedge fund operator, didn't know that he and you were getting screwed by the high-frequency traders. Well, it's the kind of fun story of the week. I don't know if it's fun. It kind of indicates that we, as the little guy, always tend to get screwed. But, of course, there are a lot of people in the industry who deny that this is what is really happening. So we'll take a closer look at that a bit later. Coming up in our featured segment, We'll be joined by Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management on his investing strategy. Stephen Chan from Maybank Kim Eng Securities will be along to discuss the takeover of Wing Hong Bank and the implications for future deals here in Hong Kong, if any. And we'll be speaking with the founder of PhoneJoy. That's a company that makes consoles to enhance the gaming experience of smartphones. And it's a very interesting Kickstarter story. So if you don't know about Kickstarter, you'll hear more about that later. Martin Kessler, co-founder of the company, will explain why he set up in Hong Kong, why he's here, and also how they used crowdsourcing to help fund the venture. But first, IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde says if countries do not act, the world will be facing a world of hurt, a long period of slow growth. The recovery is much too weak for comfort. Moreover... It seems to us that unless countries actually come together to take the right policies together, we could very well be facing years of slow and subpar growth. Ms. Lagarde says growth is needed to create jobs. Some have called it the new normal. We don't adopt that, but slow, subpar growth on a sustainable basis. And that would be clearly below the solid, sustainable growth that is needed to create enough jobs and improve living standards into the future. Meantime, on Wall Street, stocks rose for a fourth day. Private sector jobs data added to some general optimism over the economy. The S&P 500 rose 0.3% to a record 1,890. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 40 points at 16,573. That's within four points of an all-time high. The S&P 500 now is trading at 17.5 times earnings. That is the highest level since 2010, and it is 11 
7% above the five-year average. Here's some of the data that people were working through today. February factory goods orders were up 1.6%. That topped estimates of 1.2%. The ADP jobs report showed the companies created 191,000 new jobs in March. That's a private sector job reading. It was a little weaker than expected, but only by a smidge. And it was generally considered pretty good news and may augur well for the non-farm payrolls, which is coming up uh, tomorrow night, our time. In some other news, high-frequency trader Virtue Financial, uh, they have decided to delay their IPO. The delay comes amid controversy generated by Michael Lewis's new book, Flash Boys. Mr. Lewis was on Bloomberg in this latest day, continuing his claims that the stock market is rigged. And we will pay some tour group operators to bring like a bunch of dumb tourists in to play with you. They won't know. You well, win. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Tourists. David Einhorn's a dumb tourist? Yes. In the, Come in, on in, now. In this analogy, hold on. In this analogy, every, every investor, he, David Einhorn did not know. He did not understand. He understood that. He understood that whenever he tried to do something in the market, the market moved like like they knew, like someone knew what he was up to. Uh, in the same way that big pension fund managers and mutual fund managers saw when they tried to execute big orders, oh my God, it's like someone knows I want to buy before I buy. But he didn't know why. He didn't know. He didn't understand. He didn't understand that high-frequency traders were putting machines in exchanges to be closer to the exchange so that they get it, they could get price information two milliseconds before him. He kept getting interrupted uh, during his little uh, analogy. He continues here with sort of the rest of the story. Let me can I finish my analogy? Absolutely. So here's the analogy. So, uh, so the, of course, the, the tourists get fleeced all the time in the poker game because they don't know that the deck is rigged, right? The poker players pay the casino a cut of what they make. The, the casino operators pay, pay the tour group, uh, the tour group company, money to bring in the tourists. Uh, so the tour, in this case... Casino is the exchange, the poker players are the high-frequency traders, and the tour group operators are the banks and the brokers that handle the stock market orders. And I think the analogy is pretty close. Uh, so is that rigged? Is that a rigged game? I think it is a rigged game. So that's Michael Lewis, author of Flash Boys, and one of the stories of this week. And one other uh, major story this morning, uh, in fact, I headlined it, uh, China has outlined a package of measures at stimulus. Uh, it includes railway spending, tax relief to support the economy, uh, to try to create jobs after the slowdown has endangered uh, Premier Li's target of 7.5% growth this year. Among the things that are coming up, the government will sell $15 billion of bonds this year, to help build railways, mainly in the less developed central and western regions. That from the state council put out a statement after a meeting that was led by Premier Lee. Authorities will also create a development fund of 200 to 300 billion yuan uh, to increase sources of rail financing. So perhaps that'll come up later in uh, this program. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us here on Radio 3. It's 10 minutes now after 8 o'clock, and uh, we welcome Richard Harris. Chief Executive of Port Shelter Investment Management. Richard, good morning. Good morning to you, Brian. So we're all getting screwed. Um, yes, I don't you just love Michael Lewis's uh, analogy? I'm not sure he's entirely got it right because I've travelled all over the world as a dumb tourist and I've had a pretty good time and so is David Einhorn, of course, and um, it, it, it probably is the little guys at the end, but, you know, it's like uh, the retail sector. Everybody takes a little bit of a slice out of it and it just so happens that high-frequency traders uh, have got in there first. Basically, he's saying is that they have an unfair advantage. So whether you made two billion 
and you could have made two point one billion. Um, you know that's you know nobody's going to cry for you, but if it's unfair, it's unfair. Well, I think that's the point. And what's happened with high frequency trading is it suddenly burst upon the scene in in the last few years, and especially with uh, greater computing, uh, with the fact that even the exchanges now can report prices fractions of a second before everybody else. All of this stuff is new, and as with every new thing, there are always a few wrinkles. And rather than rigged, I think um, maybe it would probably be better to describe it as, yes, the high-frequency traders have had an advantage. Uh, it probably is an unfair advantage. We've just discovered it. And like many other things, soft dollaring and a whole bunch of other things in the financial markets, uh, you know, there'll be legislation to make the playing field more equal. There's some very interesting exchanges uh, on Bloomberg and CNBC, and I highly urge people uh, to go in and listen to a package that was uh, 10 or 12, 15 minutes yesterday on CNBC and more of this Bloomberg one today. If you can find it on those websites, go and listen. It's it's very exciting and very interesting radio stroke TV. Uh, we won't go into it too, more, too much more here because neither uh, Richard nor I really have all the uh, inner workings of it. But suffice it to say that the the basic story that Michael Lewis is saying is that with co-locating computers at the site of the exchanges, these guys are getting ahead of the order flow. And that used to be called front-running, and it was a bad thing. So anyway, if you'd like to learn more about it, uh, again, we can't do it here, but go and uh, and listen to those interviews. Fascinating stuff. Okay, Richard, uh, so we can we can still make money. That, that's a fact. Um, what are your best strategies at the moment? Well, you know, to me, it looks as if the second quarter started quite well. We had a, a little raft of bad figures last quarter, economic figures coming out. They're now starting to look just that little bit better. So we're in a situation where the market's feeling a bit more comfortable. Um, most markets were pretty flat uh, in the first quarter. Uh, a few were up. One or two that had lagged were up quite a lot. The market that really had lagged, of course, was China uh, and Hong Kong. And it's interesting to see this stimulus story with China coming through now because there's always an excuse uh, that's needed to lift a market off the bottom. And it looks as if maybe this is the one for China. Well, they feel they have to make their target. Do you think that they should feel that way? Well, I think they probably have quite a lot of nervousness that uh, they're not going to do it. And quite frankly, I'm surprised that they haven't fallen prey to the temptation up to now. I mean, it's, um, uh, it, it's a pretty easy hit if things aren't looking too good to, to hold it back. But don't forget that even then they're putting more money into infrastructure and then maybe putting a little more money into the economy by increasing spending. Um, they're still quite tight. Liquidity is still quite tight in the banking market. So they're not actually releasing the brakes that much. One of the things that's troubling is when the stock market is out of sync with the general economy. And, you know, here we've roared ahead in Hong Kong. China's had solid growth. Maybe it's a bit less than than uh, what it used to be, but still at 7, 7.5% and 4, 5, 6% here in Hong Kong. What do you do when you can't read the economic data to give you clues? Well, I think what happens to the stock market is obviously it reacts uh, early to news. So this story about stimulus could actually be quite positive to the stock market. It doesn't mean to say that it's going to work. It doesn't mean to say that the benefits are going to come through immediately. But, of course, the market reacts to new news of what it might expect. So that when the benefits do come through finally in the economy, the market's already there. The well, it's unfortunate the that the market tends to respond um, more to liquidity, in a sense, than to economic growth. And yeah, that's liquidity. how sad it is. So the liquidity provided by the Fed juiced up the uh, U.S. stock market 30% last year. We haven't had a lot of stimulus in this region here for the last year so the stock market languished uh, do you think that's do you think that's 
Is it right? I think it's just the way it works. You know, it's behavioural economics. We react to news as it actually comes through. Um, and as you know, my, my favourite thing is from Donald Rumsfeld. You know, a news is basically comes in the way of known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. And basically, it's the known unknowns that you get a lot of trading around because bits of news come out and people react to that and then it comes back. Um, but I think it's all fun of the game and it's what really what makes the investment business so interesting. So let me go back to that one of the first questions I put to you because I have to do a few things at the desk here. I don't catch everything that everybody says. Maybe you didn't say anything. Uh, the question was, what's your best investment idea at the moment? Yeah, I think best investment idea is equities. I'd be looking to uh, <laughs> That's pretty be general. equities. That's pretty um, general. I like the d- developed market still. Uh, I know it's pretty boring. Um, so do you like Indonesia, Philippines? Or I do, you, think that you like, uh, do you like the big developed markets, uh, U.S. and Europe? I like the big developed markets. You know the emerging markets are picking up quite a lot. Even markets like India have actually reacted quite well. And the markets that aren't reacting quite well have special situations, you know, like Russia, for instance, uh, which we, we've seen recently. Um, but generally, I would be looking to position myself for a bull run that's going to be reasonably extended now. Um, so that means buying across the board. So you just like the market. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be vicious and tough uh, on the radio, you know, in our interviews. So you say you like developed markets and emerging markets. You like everything. Absolutely, yes. But I think, actually, if you are going to get quite vicious... I think are you one, a Pollyanna? I know. I think the one wild card, actually, could be commodities, because uh, if you look, commod- copper was down 11% uh, last quarter. So there's plenty of room in that market for some speculative buying. And to go back to your point earlier, uh, these things react on news. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to get a great deal of demand coming in China tomorrow. Uh, just the sense that we might have demand and economic growth in China could put it up. So if you are looking for those aggressive leverage moves, then you probably have to look in the things that are really quite depressed. And commodities is one of those areas. Okay, Richard, stay with this. I want to bring in another guest here in just a few seconds. Let me just catch my breath. <laughs> headline I saw for the following story was on a wing and a prayer. Can you guess the story? I'm addressing this to you listeners. Think about it. I'll pause. Let's just have that final sip of coffee that I've got here. Ah, the pause that refreshes. So on a wing and a prayer, yes, we are talking about the takeover of Wing Hong Bank here. OCBC offering $38.4 billion to buy Wing Hong Bank. It would be the biggest takeover of a Hong Kong bank since 2001. OCBC, by the way, is Southeast Asia's second largest lender. And we say good morning now to Stephen Chan of Maybank Kimeng Securities. Stephen, good morning. Good morning. Was the price reasonable? That's $5 billion U.S. dollars. Okay, now uh, if you are trying to uh, make it comp- uh, compare with the Yeso Group buying uh, Chongqing Bank, I think uh, it is quite reasonable because if you exclude the so-called revaluation surface of the bank premises, uh, own bank premises of Wingham Bank, uh, actually the um, acquisition price you book from OCBC was more than two times. And bear in mind the last time uh, when you have Yeso Group um, paying Chongqing Bank is also about two times. Now, how are we going to justify this so-called two times price? Is that going to be a benchmark? I think the key things look at here is uh, if you look at the ROE of Wing Han, even XQ, 
through this reversion surplus. Okay, hang on a second. Don't, don't get too technical. Let's just first tell people two times book. Book means you take the assets and you subtract out the liabilities, and that's the book? Yes. Okay, yes. so you've got two times book, and that was what was paid for uh, Chongqing Bank, and that was about what's being paid for this one. Now continue, and remember, this is a, a kind of general, general listener that's uh, listening to the program. Okay, yeah, sure. So boil it down a bit. Go ahead, continue with your thought. Okay, now, uh, to make it simple, uh, whether to justify whether the deal is, is reasonable or not is to look at the cost of funding and the return on investment. Now, the cost of funding of OCBC, I suppose, is likely to be uh, fund currently, of course, it's going to be funded by bank loans, but eventually they're going to do the right issue. So uh, our rough estimation is that maybe they will, uh, you know, for the deal, about half of that will be funded by right issue and half of that will be funded by bank loans. And if you look at it that way, roughly, the cost of funding will be around, you know, 6 7%. And uh, as I say, if you use the adjusted book value to estimate the so-called return on investment of Wingham Bank based on two times, more than two times flexible, I think the return on investment on, on this deal will also be around 6%. Okay, so, so are you saying that it's, it's a fair price? Okay, so let's uh, let's see. It, does it serve then? You got two deals around, uh, you know, twice uh, price to book. Does it serve as a model for future purchases, if any? Oh, definitely. Uh, you can see that that's going to be more likely to be a benchmark, especially if you talk about the re- for the remaining uh, so-called family-owned banks in Hong Kong. All of them are, are generating an ROE of over ten percent. Most of them have gone. How many family-run banks are there even left? We still have two. One is a very big one, which is a Bank of East Asia. The other one ah, yeah. is a small one, which is Starsing Bank. Starsing. Okay. So we might see um, we might see some offers coming in on there. Now, is the reason that OCBC is moving on Wing Hong Bank is it because? Uh, flows are increasing a lot between Hong Kong and Southeast Asia, not China, but Southeast Asia. I think the key thing is, uh, first of all, they want to increase the so-called Greater China contribution. Uh, remember, in 2013, the Greater China pre-tax profit contribution from Greater China was just uh, around 5.8%. And once they uh, took o- takes over uh, Wing Han, these profit, the pre-tax profit contribution will increase to more than 15%. So that's the first thing. The second thing, of course, uh, we are seeing indeed more flow, not just between Hong Kong and, and Southeast Asia. We're seeing more flow between China and ASEAN. And bear in mind that OCBC is not just strong in Southeast Asia, but also the whole of ASEAN. So, uh, wait, 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 wait a second. You lost me there. What's ASEAN? Uh, you know, the ASEAN countries. Oh, ASEAN, ASEAN. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I, I, your accent uh, got me. Go ahead. So if you look at it that way, then uh, we we see more trade flow uh, between China and ASEAN countries. So if you look at it that way, then uh, the the deal will actually help a lot. Uh, uh, you know, to take care of uh, some of these uh, customers from ASEAN to uh, 
you know, who is operating in China. Okay, so, uh, you know, why would the general listener to this program care? That's what I want to ask you. Is it, uh, does it indicate that Hong Kong is a pretty great place? I mean, should we be somewhat encouraged by this? We also had Tomasic coming in and, and, and snapping up Watson's. Uh, <laughs> or should we be worried that the family-run banks are all saying, I'm out of here, and Li Ka-shing is um, selling? Okay, it's, for me, it's just the other way around. Uh, it's not just Hong Kong. The whole issue is that under the bus, the new so-called Basel Free uh, Capital rules, uh, now uh, banks are suffering more from you know more stringent capital rules and, and liquidity rules. So now the operating environment is different from say ten years ago. It's it's it's, it's tougher and tougher. So uh, if I am a family owned bank, uh, if, if I, I'm a family who owns a bank, I, I will feel it more difficult to run a bank. So that's why, first of all, I would say that the willingness for these, these family to sell the bank will be increasing. And on the other hand, those big guys, because they want to have a bigger connection with China, so that's why they also I to uh, buy a bank in Hong Kong, which has a certain degree of exposure in yeah. China. You just have to ask yourself the question, Wing Hong Bank, gone. Wing Long Bank, gone. Uh, Chongqing Bank, gone. And these are all old families here. If the future looks so bright in our relationship with China, and maybe even with the trade flows increasing to Southeast Asia, you'd think they'd want to stay. But they're going, and Li Ka-shing is going too. So anyway, um, there are other factors, obviously. You can't uh, make it so simple. Stephen, thank you very much. Thanks. Stephen Chan, Maybank Kimeng Security. Yeah, Richard, just uh, 20 seconds or so. Uh, should we be worried that um, a lot of these old stalwarts are leaving? I think that it's probably really the way that uh, life works. You know, if you look at the West, there are very few of these uh, major institutions that are still family-owned, one or two, especially in Europe, um, but really very few. And I think that's really the cycle we're going through here. So you need scale and uh, you need to be big, I guess. I think so. Okay. All right, Richard, uh, I want to phase um, out of um, market stuff and into kind of um, something new that has to do with business, starting a business. PhoneJoy is an interesting Kickstarter story. PhoneJoy launched its first product recently. It's a peripheral device that helps enhance the gaming experience on your smartphone. The company raised funding from private sources, including 70000 U.S. from crowdsourcing site Kickstarter. Martin Kessler, the co-founder of PhoneJoy, is in our studios. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Brian. What are you? <laughs> no, just, I would you know, call myself tell us about the company. Tell us about the company. Okay, so PhoneJoy is, as you said, a peripheral. But if you imagine, you know, like a PlayStation Vita, that's basically what we turn your phone into. So you imagine your phone, and our game controller wraps around your phone, and then you have all the physical controls that you would normally have, like on your Xbox or PlayStation. So most of the games that I can play on my smartphone at the moment, they're they're somewhat limited. They're just uh, online games, and they're not as uh, intriguing and as deep as the console games. This allows me to actually operate a console from my smartphone. Exactly. Um, you can do that, but you can also play some more, you know, extensive, I would say, complex games. So what we've been seeing in the last three years is that we had a lot of casual and online games, as you see coming up, most recently Flappy Bird. But this is obviously not made for a Flappy Bird. So what we've been seeing in the last 12 months 
is actually powerful 3D content coming to mobile phones. I mean, nowadays, when you think about it, the smartphone is already more powerful than like regular portable consoles like the Nintendo DS or like the PlayStation Vita, for instance. So with your phone and proper game controls, you can actually play really, really good games on your phone right now. But, you know, with touch controls, it just doesn't work that well, which is why we've come up with PhoneJoy, which gives you all the physical controls just like on a console. So why did you set up in Hong Kong? Yeah, I've been, I've been asked that for, for many times already. Um, originally, we were actually starting out in Shenzhen in China because it's very close you know, to the manufacturing sites and it's easy to prototype and it's relatively cheap to set up everything. But for Hong Kong, it has actually allowed us to set up a company relatively easily. You know, there's no upfront capital requirements. It only takes you like a week to set up a company. Everything is being handled in English. Everything is based on the common law. It has a superb uh, supply chain, so it's very easy for us to deliver product all over the world. Which so is those are all on the on the positive side of the ledger. Yeah. What about the negative side of the ledger, the high cost to operate here? How did you get around that? Um, actually, um, PhoneJoy is part of Cyberport. So, okay, so you're part of that, yeah, uh, exactly. uh, that program there. So how long does that give you? A couple of years of uh, very low rent? Yeah, exactly. It gives us like two years of low rent for like, I think, 400 square foot. I think that's what they're giving us. You'll be able to flap your wings after that two-year period? I believe so. Okay. Um, What about, um, you know, talent? Sometimes I hear when we get startups on here that that finding good talent is is quite tricky. Yeah, I have to agree with that, actually. Um, So it's very, very tricky to find senior talent especially on the engineering side, that is because Hong Kong is not very strong anymore when it comes to you know, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. That's all moved now to Shenzhen. That, that is why we actually had to get some talent from the U.S. and from Europe to come over to Hong Kong. So it sounds like what you're saying well. is you're, you set up your headquarters here, but a lot exactly. of your work is still being done in Shenzhen. Um, well, only the production is really done in Shenzhen. We do the complete engineering in Hong Kong, the design, the marketing, sales. Obviously, as we branch out to other places in the world, we will need sales offices like in the U.S., in Japan, and other places. Richard? Um, I've got the advantage of looking at the device here. <laughs> it looks like a little Game Boy, which you open up. It's got a spring, and you put your phone in it that gives you the screen. Cool. Um, but the key question that any entrepreneur is going to think is, uh, hey, it is quite cool. Is it patented? I mean, how do you stop other people just picking it up as an idea? Right. So as uh, as Richard already said, it's it's very unique. So we also got a patent actually on the uh, sliding mechanism. We call it the easy slider. Um, It's actually gone already through three revisions and we actually hold a patent on the function that we can extend and retract this, you know, sliding mechanism, which also fits an electronic connectivity inside. We've got a patent on that already in Hong Kong, and we've got one pending in the U.S. and Europe right now. So have you been able to hire a lot of people? I mean, are you an example of a young company that's actually creating jobs? Well, we're only starting out, right? So we've been now running for a little bit more than, I think, about two years now. And we've got seven people now. We start with just a man, a team of two people. And over the last two years, we've been growing to seven. But now, since we're launching just a product last month, we're going to have to expand much, much more rapidly in the coming months. When do the, ki- when do the Kickstarter people get repaid? Well, that's the thing. On Kickstarter, you actually only contribute funds 
and you get rewards back. So they don't really get money back. It's not an investment, you know, like a traditional equity investment. It's much more like, you know, they give you money. It's kind of like a donation, and then they want a reward. So in our case, they get the product. So that's what we've been doing, like, over the okay. last four yeah. weeks. Fascinating. Very interesting. Uh, best of luck to you. Uh, I won't ask you when you'll be profitable because <laughs> you don't know the answer to that anyway. So, but good luck, Martin. Thank you. Thank you. Martin Kessler, co-founder of PhoneJoy, joining us here on Money for Nothing. Well, the markets are higher in Asia. The Nikkei is up 70 points. That's a half a percent gain. Looks like another day of gains. Richard may be right. This could be a, a very good time, even with the U.S. markets at an all-time high. Good time to buy. Looks like the economies are improving. Who knows? Australia up. Uh, Seoul is up and Japan is up. Fortunately, the weather is dark and dreary. Cloudy with rain, squally thunderstorms again. The rain to be heavy at times. The maximum temperature about 21 degrees. Uh, but it's going to be uh, bright tomorrow. So we're looking for a slightly better Saturday. Then the long-term forecast back to the thunder showers next week. What a drag. Money for nothing at 8.30. News with Samantha Butler. One person has been killed in a shooting at the Fort Hood Army Base in Texas. Fourteen others have been injured in the incident, though officials said that number could change. Four of the soldiers injured were said to be in a critical condition. Paul Gately is the news director at the local television station. We just had the senior public affairs officer from Fort Hood on air with us live, and he told us that he can confirm one fatality. Uh, several injuries, 